It's good to have the Enriquez's back. Good to see you guys back. And to have some visitors. Susan, you're, you're here. And it's good to see you. Uh, why don't we go to Matthew chapter 1. I was looking at my notes from last year. And there was one text that I really didn't get a chance to marinate in. And I want to pray for God's blessing on this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We love your word. We sing. And we are shocked that such a one would come. That the second person of the Trinity would come. Of his own accord, of his own volition, sent by the Father. To die for the sins of man. Lord we are melted. We are struck. That one whose glories are unending would come and be born. In a manger. And so father we pray. Lord, if, if, if anything, that this day we would leave here filled to the brim with joy and thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. The Savior has come. This is a great time to look at what the Savior had to do to save you through the Incarnation. And as we look at our Christmas trees with the presents underneath them, we marvel in worship at the greatest gift given to you. Truly, God the Father is the greatest gift giver as he sent his son. Now, as a believer, it can be easy with the hustle and bustle of this time to not stop and to dwell on the fact of Christ's coming but Christ's word gives you encouragement this time, this, during this time. I'm going to read again Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. But we're only going to concentrate on one verse. Verse 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to a secret. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth. To a son, he called his name Jesus. Verse 21, I'll read again. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
This morning's passage is given to you so that your heart would well up with thankfulness and joy. Because the Savior came for you. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We love the gifts around the tree. We love, the, we love family. We, la- we love having a good meal together. But I'm thankful that God came down for me. Thankful that the Son came down for me. So there are three sources of encouragement in this verse in regards to the Savior coming for you. Notice in verse 21, and she will bear a son. I call this the, the costly price of Christ's mission. This is the costly price of Christ's mission. And she will bear a son. Christ had to be born of a virgin. This is what is, is, is discussed upon here, is that he was born of of a virgin. He had to be born of a virgin first because it was prophesied. We know from as early as Genesis it says that he will that one will be born of a woman who will he will you will strike his heel strike your head. But further on it becomes later to in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In Isaiah, 740 years before this text, um, the verse says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Before the virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will be called and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now folks, try to explain this away. This, they, they try to explain it away. Oh, she wasn't a virgin. Oh, she was, uh, and some of the theories are wild and crazy out there. Oh, she was impregnated by one of the Roman soldiers in Galilee. And, and she was, uh, uh, and so um, Christ was born of fornication. And that's what, in in book of John, that's what some of the, uh, the leading uh, Pharisees were saying, we're not born of fornication, are we? And as, as they were saying, they were implying it of Christ. Or some of the uh, theologians will say, well, this word virgin really doesn't mean virgin. It could mean maiden. And granted, it can mean maiden. But here's what's interesting. In every context where Christ is called born of a virgin, it's very clear what the meaning is. Now notice in Isaiah chapter 7. Go to Isaiah chapter 7, how it's written. He says, 740 years before, recall, this is Christ. This is how we know. It's exactly why the wise men knew the Magi from Or, which was Babylon. They knew because Daniel told them. It's incredible if you trace it back, the lineage. How come they knew? Because they, they knew what to look for. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says... Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now notice, here's a, here's a soft evidence here. Isaiah says that you will know that this one will be the Messiah. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, a virgin. If the word virgin here is simply maiden, a young woman, 
He says, a virgin will be with child and you will bear, she will bear a son and she will name his, call his name Emmanuel. If it was simply maiden, then what kind of a sign is it? How supernatural of a sign is it? It isn't, it isn't a very supernatural sign. It's simply, uh, women have babies, women have babies every day. But this is a supernatural sign that a virgin, and so contextually, how do you find a definition of the word? Contextually, how is it used? Now look at uh, Luke chapter 1, and you will see even clearer in Luke chapter 1. Now he says, Chapter 1 and verse 31, we know this as the Magnificat. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb as the angel is speaking to Mary and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now here, Mary knows exactly what the angel is saying. And so now Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now the word, the impossibility of it, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Spirit the, the, for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So now here, very clearly, Mary is saying, how can I have a child since I am a virgin? And you know, contextually now, now this, this, this discussion would make no sense. Would have absolutely make no sense unless in context it meant Virgin. Later on, you know that in verse 25 of, of the text that we were studying, in Ma, uh, later on, uh, excuse me, going back to, go back to um, Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, notice he says, verse 25, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. There, here, all the time in Isaiah 7, it's the sign. In, in Luke chapter 1, it's Mary saying, how could this be? And then in Matthew chapter 1, it says he kept her a virgin. Very clearly, Christ was prophesied and he came from a, a virgin. But why did he have to, what was this costly price of his mission? He, he had to be born of a virgin because it was prophesied. Because he had to be sinless. In, in Luke chapter 1 verse 35, uh, I know we're ping-ponging, but look, notice in Luke chapter 1 verse 35, and here is this glorious, glorious text about how the Son of Man, the Son of God came to be and add on humanity to his nature. Notice he says here in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. He's very, here's what's incredible and what's amazing here. Is that what 
The text is actually saying, is, it says, for that reason, the holy child, the word there for holy child is this, it's in the neutered form in the original language. It really means this holy thing or this holy begotten thing. And so what the text is saying is that this holy begotten thing shall be called the Son of God. And the reason why it's holy and begotten is because there had to be a human nature that was added to the Son of God, though the God existed beforehand, though the Son of God existed from all eternity, this holy thing was the human nature without sin. And Christ had to be completely sinless. And if he was born simply from a man and a woman, then that sin would have been transmitted. But because it was a virgin birth, Christ himself did not have sin. Yet he had a full human nature. He had to add this human nature. He had to have a full and complete human nature. He is the only being in this whole universe who is completely God and completely man. In every aspect of mankind. He had to have a human nature. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. Number one. To fulfill all righteousness. At his baptism... In Matthew chapter 3, part of what is the reason why Christ came, he didn't come just to die. He came to live. He came to live a holy and perfect life that you and I could not do. That you and I could not accomplish. And this righteousness, this holiness, this accomplishment of the law is then credited to us as we trust in the Savior. But for that to be credited to us, he has to do the whole thing. Every bit of it. Every aspect of the law. And so, if you were to look, even at his baptism, he did in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, when John the Baptist says, should I be baptizing you? And Jesus says, answering, said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. He had to add a human nature so that it could be declared, so he could be a qualified mediator. He said that he, he said in Matthew chapter 5, 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. No, brothers and sisters, there are things, things we regret in our lives. There are sins we have done. There are good deeds we should have done, but we didn't do. Isn't it just a treasure as you dwell and you think about Christmas, that the one who came did everything, completed everything, finished everything. He is the, he is the only one whose checklist is complete. Amen. He didn't save you just a little bit. He saved you to the uttermost. 
There is no sin. Let me, let me encourage you, saints. There is no sin that will remove you from the kingdom of God. If you are his, wherever you failed, he has succeeded. Do you understand the pervasiveness of his righteousness? Then, he had to do it to be a qualified mediator. To be a qualified mediator. Let me jump. Let's, let, why don't we just jump to Hebrews? We're going to be jumping. And I'm just showing you from this text. It is full of theology. It is full of the glories of Christ. Of what he's done. Notice in Hebrews, he had to add a human nature to be a qualified mediator. Notice, it had to be this way. There was no other way. In order for us, for him to redeem us, he had to be like us. Notice in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, therefore, verse 17, he had, notice the, Necessity. He had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made like us. In all things. That means in every possibility. In every facet of humanity. In our fatigue. In our tiredness. In our struggles. In our temptations. He had to be Human, completely human. He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. And so what is at stake here is when we talk about the virgin birth is that the reason why he had to put on a human nature is such that he would be the qualified high priest, the qualified mediator for you and for me. Not only did he put on a human nature to be a qualified mediator, but he had to put on a human nature to be a sympathetic high priest. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and 14 and 15. Notice the writer of Hebrews continues and he completes this thought. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, verse 14 Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He's saying, if Christ did do this, let us keep believing this. Let us keep confessing this. Hold fast to this truth. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Oh, this is sweet. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice he's saying this. This is why, this is one of the reasons why he had to add a human nature. Why? He says here, so that he could completely feel what it's like to be a human on this earth. So that he could completely feel. He says here, To sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one who has been tempted in all things and yet without sin. So in all your temptation, brother and sister, in every single one, it is a true statement to say Christ knows how you feel. And that he is not one who is ignorant of how difficult your suffering is or difficult your struggle is because he felt temptation in its fullest capacity yet without sin. See, he was tempted and tempted and tempted and tempted. This is how we are sometimes. We're tempted and tempted and tempted and then we give in. Or we're tempted and tempted and tempted and then we give in. So we feel this measure of temptation. But he, the son of God, fully God, fully human, feels all the temptation and yet without sin. He feels it to its strongest, most sharpest pain and pang. And the Bible says yet without sin. So to say that you, ha- you don't have a friend in this world, that you don't have anyone who understands you is false. You have a Christ who is there, who put on flesh to die for your sins. You have a Christ who knows how you feel. You have a Christ and you're feeling, you're feeling as if there's no one there for you. That is not true. That's a lie from the devil. There is a Savior who knows how you feel. You understand? No matter how difficult you're... Sometimes holidays is not an easy time for people. Sometimes holidays is a difficult time. It brings back bad memories. Oh, let me tell you, don't let, don't let it overshadow the truth of what Christ has done for you. He knows how you feel and He is there with you. Isn't He called the Emmanuel? Amen? Isn't he God with us? And he had to have a human nature, of course. He had to come. He had to add a human nature so that he would die. Hebrews chapter 10, since we're in the book of Hebrews, move there. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 10, he says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And here's the significance. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So now he is talking about the whole system of Old Testament sacrifice but that it was simply a picture of the past looking towards the future at what Christ would do. Verse 12 says, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, notice, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. 
This was a costly price. And this is what we call Jesus' condescension. You could see it in the book of Philippians when it talks about how he has he has uh, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself and he moves down and down and down and down taking the form of a servant then the form of man and then dying and then death on the cross it is his complete condescension it's not just that he had to die but the glorious one condescended to be born in a manger. I'm, not one of you would send your wives, men, you would send your wives to a manger to give birth. And yet our Savior willingly, willingly came in such low a state to win you. It seems utterly, almost preposterous that some being that great would love you. Uh, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you should be marveling at the truth. Now, he says, this was a costly price. When it seems discouraging at times, Know that he came to save you in your brokenness. See, your heart should well up with thankfulness and joy because of the costly price of Christ's mission. His condescension in, in putting on flesh. His condescension in the incarnation. Secondly, your heart should well up with thankfulness and joy because of the complete focus of Christ's mission. And not there's not much spoken about this. But go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we look at the text again. Verse 21. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And there is much that is in there. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus of course the word. Is a derivative of Joshua. It is a shortened form of Instead of, say, of saying Yahweh saves. It's saying Yah saves. And his name would be all that what of what Jesus is about. We know later on in John chapter 8. He says and he claims the name of this Yahweh. The self-existent I am. The one that was revealed himself in the burning bush. The one that has revealed himself as the Shekinah glory in Exodus. The one who has revealed himself over and over as the fourth one. The son of man when, uh, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were together. The one who has revealed himself and then finally putting on flesh at the incarnation. This one, this Yahweh saves. And so Jesus takes on this name. This is the name because this is what he would be all about. If you were going to think about Jesus, he's not a political party leader. He is not a social revolutionist. He is not someone to start any political party. He is the one who saves from our sins. 
But this would also mark his voluntary resolve to save you and me, brothers and sisters. The Savior's resolve, and we're going to go through some other texts. The Savior's resolve was prophesied. This showing of who he is, you're going to see his resolve. It was prophesied. What resolve? His resolve to come and to die for you and me. Look at Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. This is talking about the suffering servant. He says, verse 7, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5 through 70. Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I. This is a clear reference to the suffering servant. Who would be Christ? And my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Here is his prophesied resolution of the Savior. He will set his face like flint. In his love, it is love he would pursue. He would do what was needed so that you would be made right with God the Father. He would not be swayed. He, his mind would not be changed by the angels. He has set his affection on you, dear saint, and he will not change his mind. Notice he declares his resolve in John chapter 10. Go to John chapter 10. This now the Christ himself declares his resolve. John chapter 10. We know this verse 14. I'm just going to skip to 14. And here is his resolve. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. That's meaning probably most likely the Gentiles. And they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. And here it is at verse 18. His own voluntary resolve for you. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. <coughs> I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Christ is declaring his steadfast love for you, saint. That he did this voluntarily. He was not coerced. He was not forced. 
Later on, move to chapter 18. The Savior's resolve was tested. Look at 18 verse 10. In chapter 18 verse 10. Struck the high priest slave, cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword back in the sheath, the cup which the Father has given. Now drink it. Isn't this mine? Now he could have went with Peter and said, yeah, let's get him. Let's beat him up. But he says, this is my cup. And later on, you know the famous verse in Luke twenty-two forty-two: Father, if you are willing, and this is the Savior's resolve to execute. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see... This Savior's resolve. Christian, he, he has not and he will not change his mind about you. You understand? That's grace. I understand folks may say, Angelo, why are you preaching like this? Why are you preaching like this? Don't you know people are going to take advantage of his grace? Oh, no. For those who know his grace will live lives that demonstrate it. He has not and he will not change his mind about you. You cannot outrun his love. Just, you have to think, follow with me. If his mind was made up in eternity past, and his mind was made up during the time of Isaiah, and his mind was made up when he declared it, and his mind was made up when his resolve was tested and his mind was made up when he drank the cup of wrath to the bottom dregs. Why do you think he will change his mind about you now? What can you say but hallelujah? Hallelujah. Your heart should well up with fullness and joy because of the costly price of Christ's mission, because of the complete focus of Christ's mission, and lastly, lastly, the assured accomplishment of Christ's mission. The assured accomplishment of Christ's mission. Now, we have to go back to Matthew chapter 1. It seems like we've been all over different texts Matthew chapter 1. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Notice here. For he will save 
In the text, it's not a a subjunctive, it's a future tense indicating the certainty. He will save. Not he will, he, he, he should save or he'll provide a possibility or it would be an option for people to be saved. No, he says he will save. He will do all that it takes. That's your savior. He did all that it takes to save you. He provided everything you need, Christian. He came of his own initiative. He lived the life that you needed. He died the gory death that you should have suffered. He paid it all to secure your faith, to secure you. Have you, been, have you been in sin? You need to repent? Oh, turn. Go back to him. Now, notice he says, for it is he who will save. So this, this accomplishment is assured. And his accomplishment creates a people. This is an astounding fact. Notice, he will save his people in John it says, the sheep will hear me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what happens is this Savior who accomplishes everything, creates a people, brings his people forth, because God the Father has elected before in eternity past, and the Son comes and he dies on the cross. And the Spirit draws sinners to him. Rebellious sinners. Sinners who would want nothing to do with him. And he melts their heart. And he is sure to do it. He loses not one, do you understand? Not one. He comes for them. And what he does is his accomplishment... He saves them from their sins. And what people don't know is that their talk of what they think is freedom and their talk of what they think is they could do with their lives, this is the sin that's in their lives. Anything that, that they know, God has placed conscience in their heart and they fight against it. The word of God tells us what sin is and what righteousness is. And they fight against it. And people don't know that our sins are antagonistic to us. Because of our sins, it is 
enmity with God. We not only are in, uh, in judgment before God, but we also are, apart from Christ, we also are enslaved by our sins. And so what the Savior does, because of our sins that has separated us, he lives this holy life. He dies on the cross. And the Bible says, if we would but have faith in him and repent of our sins, we will be saved. And not just saved from the punishment of our sins, but saved from its oppressive domination. You won't be enslaved by it anymore. So for the unbeliever, if you are here, I want to encourage you to turn to Christ. This is the greatest gift. Don't spurn it. Don't throw it away. Oh, if your heart is unwarmed, that is a scary place to be. You don't care what God did to save people. Pray that your heart would be broken. Pray that you would trust in Christ. Ask God to show you in scriptures. If you don't know how to do that, talk to any one of us. We want to help you. But if you are a believer in Christ, here this Christmas, rest in the assured an accomplished mission of Christ. He did save people from their sins. He did. And if you are one of his, he saved you. He changed you. You're forever different. Now, for the theologues, you can say, this she will bear a son the virgin birth the incarnation the hypostatic union and you shall call his name Jesus the son's economic role in the triune Godhead for he will save his people particular redemption from their sins atoning sacrifice or you can say it this way Jesus came to save me from my sins either way is sweet amen isn't it sweet so as we sing this last song, Come All Ye Unfaithful. I want you to just con concentrate on the text, on, on the verse, where the chorus where it says, Christ is born, Christ, he is born. He's born for you. He came for you. Do you know him? Do you know him? Don't spurn his visit. Don't trample on his love. Rest in him. Come to full rest in Christ. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could sing these songs knowing the Savior 
nothing could stop your love. No difficulty. No wall too high. You came to rescue us. Oh Lord, I pray that everyone here would know the Savior and everyone's hearts would be full of thankfulness and joy. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for even considering us. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.